I've been baptised, I get very nervous stepping over there. When we moved the lectern earlier, I was a bit nervous, but two people are getting baptised tonight that we're aware of, it might be more, but um, it's great to be among us, great to worship, uh, great to really give all our honour, glory and praise to God. I'm going to read uh, from Matthew's uh, Gospel, right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, which is really good. Um, not because it's boring, it's just because it's a great summing up of what um, God is saying through the witness of Jesus. We have God himself revealed to us through the scriptures, uh, through Jesus, a personal relationship which two people are going to uh, testify tonight to, which is amazing. But Jesus, when he, uh, when he was going, uh, he left these commands to his disciples, not converts, not just converts that people are saying promises in a pool, Although that's important, um, he, he, let, he, he, he said these words to his disciples, followers of him. Not just a one-off decision, but a life worth living, which is amazing for you two tonight. And for the rest of us to be reminded uh, in that. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture from Matthew 28. Uh, we know it as the Great Commission. Lots of mission statements in the world. Uh, lots of uh, bullet points that we can uh, listen to and think about. But this is Christ's the head of the church. Uh, This is his appointing to you tonight and to all of us uh, where he sends us and says, this is what I want you to do. Okay? Part of of this, what I'm going to read, actually you're doing. It's a fulfilment. He says, baptise them. We're doing that as a church. That's what we can do. Not for you, it's what we do in response to him and your response to him. But we offer that as a church. We offer that to anybody who wants to give their life to Jesus. And tonight, uh, when we look at what's going on, we hear testimony and we hear how people got to this point. But it's really their response. It's a simple response. Repent means to change your mind. It it literally means that I was living my life my own way and actually I'm going to give my life to God. And I'm going to trust in what he's done on the cross. Repent. Believe in what he's achieved on the cross. You'll go through moments of doubt. You're going to think about, well, was I really saved? It's nothing new. Jesus was, Jesus, we're told, is tempted in every way. And the devil, as soon as he was baptised, we heard those words, which God would speak over to you tonight. This is my son, this is my daughter, to whom I am well pleased. And then straight away the devil came in. If you're the son of God. You have doubts, that's normal, but you are sons and daughters of God. And that's a great promise uh, to the rest of us when we have those moments. Let me read this. It's called the Great Commission. This is the sending out of, of people like yourselves and all of us that are Christians to the world. This is our commission. This is our mission statement. And uh, it says here in Matthew 28, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, which is our only response, what we've done tonight, when we come into the presence of God, when they saw him, when they saw him, they worshipped him. It's the only response that you've got. When you recognise what Jesus has done, which you're doing tonight, when you get that baptismal pool, we, we worship you, Lord Jesus, because it's amazing what you've done for us. But of course, we know the world's not perfect. But some doubted, and there might be people here tonight that doubt. Uh, and, you know, all of us go through that sometimes. But the reality of the Word of God, the reality of Christ, the reality of his Holy Spirit is just too much. It's too much to doubt him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them. So he's got, he's got this wonderful picture. 
He's on a mountainside. He's got the people who believe in him. He's got some that doubt. Isn't that a picture of the church now? Isn't it a picture of the world? We surround ourselves around Jesus, his disciples. Some came to him. They worshipped. They saw him. They couldn't. That's the only response they had. But on the outside, some doubted, which is what we've got in the world. We might say loads of people doubt, but actually it's two-thirds, roughly. About a third of the world are Christians. That's amazing. And 12 people. Incredible. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to him and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, not just converts, disciples, followers of me, disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which is what we're going to do tonight, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what a great promise for Naomi and Louis tonight and for the rest of us. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Isn't that great? Yes. Yes. Fantastic. So let's, just, um, let's just work our way through this. Naomi and Louis, but all, really all of us, for all of us, for me, to be reminded of these great promises is amazing. And there's many mission statements in the world. And I was in Broken um, uh, for many years and you used to go into Broken houses and you'd see these pictures on the wall and there'd all these sort of you know, mission statements. This is what we're about. This is what we're about. Client is king. Client is king. I can tell you working in Broken, uh, client wasn't king. Client was as much money as we could make out of them. And, uh, but we'll pretend they're king. They are not the king. There is only one king. And it's Jesus Christ. And that's what you're testifying to tonight. And that's what all these people here are here to witness, to, to worship, to hear what you're saying. He is king. He is king. Uh, another picture I used to see, pursuit of excellence. Pursuit of excellence. Well, it's not a bad one, uh, to be honest. That's okay. Uh, it, it means that we can't be excellent. We can't be excellent. All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. We can't be perfect. But you can pursue it. And that's part of what you're doing tonight. You're saying, I'm going to die to my old self and I'm going to come up as a new self and I'm going to pursue excellence. And as you pursue Jesus, as you fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith, he will lead you. He will never let you go. He will pursue you with passion. And you, you're responding tonight, which is amazing. You need to respond for the rest of your life, the pursuit of excellence. <coughs> Fight through the difficulties. There'll be some. There, there are always difficulties. That you, they're, they're, life just throws stuff at you. It's just the way it is. But life is not eternal in that sense, not this early, earthly life. Life with Jesus is eternal. And as I said at the beginning, this is not a, like a wedding promise, which is important. Till death do you part. This is for eternity. This is, death is not the end for us. Where death is your sting, where is your victory? Thanks be to God because of Christ Jesus. This is forever. This is amazing. We can go on boats or ships in the sea. I used to be a windsurfer and um, uh, I'd like to still be a windsurfer. I'm not going to try it in this port. It's not big enough. Um, but uh, you have to go with the wind. You, have to, you can't force yourself to go uh, places where God doesn't want you to go. You can try and push those doors. Uh, they won't open. And there'll be some doors that do open. And you go with it, with the wind of the Spirit. The Spirit will blow wherever it wants. It's an amazing life. It's an amazing testimony that you're doing tonight as you come and be baptised because you're giving your life. You're dying to yourself. You're coming up as the new person. The old has gone and the new has come. And you're going to live your life for Christ. Amazing. What a privilege that is.
Because for all the mission statements and all the pundit points that go on in life, this is it. This is the passage that we read tonight. So here this evening, this is also the mission statement of the church, which is all of you, of what we're about, about who we're about and what our mission is. And I've seen churches, I travel around a bit sometimes, I I visit other churches, and they'll have various mission statements. And it's great, and I think, well, it's just a, you know, we've got it, really. People say to me, we must have a mission statement. I say, well, Jesus has given us our mission statement. And I can reword it, and I can rephrase it, but we've got it. There it is. And that's why it's called the Great Commission. Like I can rename it, I can put different words on, I can put business speak on it. But this is the thing that really should be hanging above our doorway. This is what we're about. And this passage we read, the words of Jesus, and he spoke them, verse 16, from a mountain. Matthew's Gospel, the end of Matthew's Gospel is ending on a mountain. It began on a mountain. Its midpoint was a mountain. And now its end is on a mountain with what's called this Great Commission. Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, tells us the lifestyle Jesus asked us to live. Radical lifestyle and character. You need to go back and read that. You've probably read it before. And all of us need to read that. There's a big movement in the States called Red Letter Christians. And uh, because some Bibles have Jesus' words in red letters. Now, I'm a believer that all of God's word is, um, sorry, all of the Bible is God's word, but nevertheless, when you look at the words of Jesus, they're profound, as is all the Bible, but some people, some uh, translations, put his words into red letters. So they call themselves red letter Christians. What they mean by that is that we're going to take him seriously. If Jesus speaks, I'm going to take him seriously. And that's what we need to do tonight. And the red letters in the Bible are the Sermon on the Mount. There's many others, but the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, tells us the lifestyle Jesus asks us to live. Radical lifestyle and character. Be a red-letter Christian. You know, when you, when you commit your life to him tonight, make sure that you take his words and let the Holy Spirit transform you, which he promises to do. The transfiguration on the Mount shows us who Jesus is. Because a lot of people can say a lot of words. I can say a lot of words, but but I'm not Jesus, I'm not the Messiah. I point to him, okay? But when he went in the midpoint in Matthew's Gospel, he was on a mountain and he has a transfiguration and God speaks to him, he reveals himself and the others that are with him are astounded. He is God, this is what makes him different. There are preachers and there's worship leaders and there's ministers and all these sorts of things, but they all should point to God. He is the one, Jesus. And then we finally get to the end, the Great Commission, which again is on the Mount, shows us his worldwide mission, a radical mission statement for the church. Radical. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptise them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is not the beginning. This is the beginning. It's not the end. It's It's the new birth. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. What a great promise. As you evangelise, Jesus promises to be with you. It's at the end of Jesus' time, as recorded by Matthew on earth, he now proclaims the war cry, the battle cry, because we're in a battle, because we can see what the world's doing, all its messages. Ultimately, it should be the mission statement of every healthy church, and we should measure ourselves against it. Are we baptising people? Are we teaching people? Are we telling them that Jesus is with them to the very end of the age? Are we teaching to obey everything he has commanded us to obey? He doesn't leave us on our own with ministers like me, which is good. He sends us his Holy Spirit. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will send her another, another like me, the paraclete, the counsellor, the one who comes alongside. 
He's saying tonight to Naomi and, Louis, and to the rest of us, over to you, this, I've not, I haven't got a plan B. This is it. He trusts the church. He trusts you to go and make disciples. You are a disciple. You are testifying that tonight. And he says to you, you now go and make disciples. Okay? Over to you. He doesn't leave you alone. He says in verse 20, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That just blows my mind. He never leaves me or forsakes me. Ever. He's with me to the very end of the age. There's only one response. There's only one response, verse 9 and 16. We worship. When people met Jesus, they worshipped. When I came to know him, I, came, I used to come to church and um, uh, we'd sing the songs. And I used to think some of them were good, some of them were bad. Um, most of them were bad, in my opinion, but, but that was at that time. And then when I became a Christian, I got to church and all of a sudden it meant so much. The emotion that happened. I've said it here before, but for the sake of, uh, well, particularly you, you've probably heard it before. Uh, there was a song, and, uh, and we used to sing it, and he used to say, uh, you're my great father, and I'm your true son. And one week I said it, uh, or sung it, and uh, it meant nothing. And then when I became a Christian, I sang it the next week, and I had tears. I thought, what's going on? You're my great father, and I'm your true son, or daughter. What an amazing, amazing privilege. The Bible says... You have the right to call yourselves children of God. You have the right. You can stand on that right. We don't like to stand on our rights. Um, But we can stand on that right. You have the right to be called children of God. Of God. Because he's called you. He has pursued you relentlessly. And he's pursuing others. He's going to use you to pursue them. Amazing. He's saying over to you. He doesn't leave you alone. He's with you always. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we worship, verse 9 16. When people met Jesus, they worshipped him. It was the only response. Jesus had authority. Uh, chapter 7, verse 29. You, you, you teach as someone who has authority. There's a lot of authorities in the world today. They keep, keep telling us they know what they're on about, and we can see they really don't. But Jesus has authority. He is God. He has authority. He says, be my disciple, get baptised. You're being obedient tonight, and he will bless you. He will bless you. This is not the only place he meets with you, but he will meet with you. It's not the only place in obedience he meets with us. Miracles in chapter 8 shows not only authority in words, but authority in deeds. God's authority, Jesus' uh, authority to forgive us, authority because who he is. If, if Gary, who's on the ministry team, Right, uh, punches me in the face. Two things will happen. The first one is to be fired. The second thing, the second thing, I, I need to put it out there in case he wants to test this later on. The second thing is he'll be forgiven. Who be who? Who guarantees to forgive him? What if Bruce, you see in there, lovely Bruce, his dad says, um, he walks up to Gary and says, Gary, you punched Ian in in the face. Yes, right. I forgive you. I'm going to stand there and say, well, Bruce, hold on a second. Right? You're not bruised. You're not, you're not um, uh, battered and everything else. And I need to say right now, you know, he would get worse. Right? I would respond, <laughs> which is probably not biblical. But I would say you have no right to forgive Gary for what he's done to me. But Jesus forgave people because he had the right, because he's God. I may not forgive Gary, I would, but I may not. But God, Jesus, says, 
I forgive you. You can imagine how impacting that statement was when he said that. When I say, I'll forgive people their sins, they didn't like it. But he's got authority because he is, uh, was and is God because of who he is. He said in, uh, in the passage we read, Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's not to me, it's not to you, it's been given to him because he is God. He is God, what you're witnessing to tonight. So therefore, we have to give him the rightful place in our lives. He has the authority. So we worship him. We choose Sundays. It could be any day. We worship him. We worship him uh, when we come together as a church. We worship him individually or in, or in uh, small groups, home groups, privately. We worship him. He alone is to be worshipped. And he says, therefore, in, in verse 19, go as his disciples, as his followers. Go and make disciples because of who he is and who we are. Because there's a great mission that God calls us to. Go because it's your mission statement. He says, go. When he says get baptised, he doesn't say stay in the water. And trust me, I think it's warm tonight. We've had a warning. Um, but, but it's going to be warm. It's not cold, which is good. Uh, but it might be too hot. <laughs> Try not to worry about that. <laughs> but, he's, but when you come out, he's, he's sending you, you've, go. Go and make disciples. You're both here. Because whether it's your parents or your friends or your church or the minister, somebody told you, somebody appealed to you to be a disciple of Christ. And you're saying tonight, that's what I'm going to be. Therefore go, verse 19, and, and, and make disciples because of who he is. Not because I tell you to do it, but because he does. Okay? Go, go as in mission. It's that outward focus that any church should have. Maintenance and just going along. We had an elders meeting. Uh, it was a long meeting. All our elders meetings are long. But we had a whole day yesterday, which was a real blessing. Okay? It was amazing. It was amazing because we're so passionate about mission. And what I loved about the day yesterday was such an outward focus. What about the people? We love the people in church. What about the people that are not in church? How are we going to reach them? How are we going to think about our mission? How are we going to make disciples? Maintenance, I could have an easy life. I could be here to the end of my ministry or the end of my life and just keep things as they are. That would be so easy. It would cause me no headaches. I love the church. But I believe God is calling us to so much more. And he's challenging us. He's not calling us to be comfortable. He's calling us to be uncomfortable. And sometimes that's what you're going to have. Sometimes. Maintenance is not enough. The baton has been passed from Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Saviour, the rock of our salvation. And he passes it to me and to you. What a privilege. It's your plan A. I, can't, I can almost imagine an argument going on with God and the devil. So what if it doesn't work? What's plan B? I haven't got one. It's the church. And they're going to do it, and they are doing it. The church is doing it across the world. Your, the faith is growing. It's amazing. And he says, verse 19, make disciples, followers, not converts. Churches across the, this country are full of people who are converted. And they're not disciples. You know, they're not taking the words. They're not red-letter Christians. They've taken all the benefit and they're consumers because that's the world. That's what the world's message is, consume. Get what you can from the world. Get what you can from the church. I don't like the song. I don't like the preacher. I don't like the sermon. I don't like the style. That's because you're a consumer. Don't be a consumer. Be a contributor because God has plans for you. Plans for you. Amazing plans. The baton has been passed from the master to his disciples. A convert is a convert, takes the benefits, 
It's great, great. We've saved someone from hell. That is amazing. Brilliant. But I'm not a follower. The follower is the disciple. And the word disciple, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. I'd like to say something like really important, like it's in Latin or Greek or Hebrew, and it may well be, but I'm making this up as I go along. Disciple and discipline are two very close words. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. And that's what you're, you're saying tonight. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for Christ and just see what he does. I got baptised within a year. I quit my job and wanted to train for ministry. It wasn't, oh, I better quit my job and I better train for ministry. God changed my heart. I, I, I was in this pool. I, got, I gave the shortest testimony. If you're worried about your testimony, my testimony was I've done three courses, I've run out of excuses, I better get baptised. That was it. Seriously. You know, I was so nervous and I got baptised and God met me by the power and presence of his spirit. And he called me to, to, to Baptist ministry. I'm a con- convicted Baptist. Um, I'm a Baptist because... I'll try that again because normally, <laughs> normally on Sundays I don't get the laughs. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist because it reflects what I believe as a Christian. I'm a Baptist because I believe what we're doing tonight reflects what the Bible says. Um, people have said to me in the past, are you a Baptist or a Christian? I'm a Baptist because it reflects what I believe as a Christian. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. This is the importance of the church. You are valuable to the church. You are called to be part of the church. Augustine said, if you've got God as your father, you should have the church as your mother. I'm not sure I agree with that because God, only God, only God is my father. And you know, I'm not sure about the mother bit. Endless debates going on, but God is father. Jesus taught us to say that. But the church is important. It's really important. Really important. We don't want just converts. Converts are good in the sense that we save you from hell. We want disciples. We want to go and make disciples. Make the committed followers of Jesus, taking up his call. And baptising them, verse 19, means a new life. This is your new life. It's biblical. We've got the example of Jesus himself was baptised. God himself led by example. He got into the water and baptised. John the Baptist he was in the right denomination because it says John the Baptist, right? So I know I'm in good company. I don't, uh, I don't eat locusts and stuff like that and I have decent clothes. But and nevertheless, he, I identify, I'm a Baptist because the Bible says get baptised. It says repent, believe, be baptised and you will be filled with the Spirit. And unless God is a liar, that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, we can't put God in a box because he invents the box and he can jump out of it whenever he wants. But that is the normal Christian birth which you're testifying to tonight. It's a new life and Jesus led by example and his followers should follow his example. If I'm going to stand here and say that Jesus is Lord and he says get baptised, then I should get baptised. And maybe you're sitting here tonight, someone who's not been baptised, and saying, well, I'm a convert. I'm a convert. Great. I want to be a disciple and the disciple takes uh, the words of Jesus seriously. They're red-letter Christians. And if he says, get baptised, he says, repent, turn to him, believe what Christ has done on the cross. It means your sins are forgiven. They're washed clean. Not the water, water doesn't wash you clean. It's a, it's a symbolic act. But, but Jesus washes you clean. So if, you, if you've turned to God and you trust in the cross, the next, the next thing, get baptised. Not well, I'll wait and see till I'm ready, or I'll wait until I know the words to the worship songs. I'll see, you know, I really will learn Leviticus, 
um, or whatever it is. Turn to God, believe in what he's done for you on the cross, confess him as your saviour, get baptised. Don't call him Lord if he's not Lord. The Lord says get baptised, and that's what you're doing uh, tonight. You're not just converts, you're, you're actually showing obedience. You're taking up his call. And what it means, verse 9, it's a new life, verse 19. It's biblical. We've got the example of Jesus. We've got his followers' example. It's the first sign of obedience. Repent, believe, be baptised, be filled with the Spirit. It's a sign of burying the old life and coming up and embracing the new life. You no longer live for yourself, you live for Christ. West Ham United, the greatest team in London. It should be. They had loads of great players in the early 2000s. I remember Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, being asked, he was Manchester United and they were winning everything. Um, and they were really, there's one season, no one beat them apart from one club, home and away, West Ham United. But West Ham had, he, he, they said to him, and West Ham actually that season then he got relegated, so let's put it in perspective. But, um, but they said to him, who's the greatest threat? Is it Chelsea? Is it Tottenham? Is it Liverpool? Who is it? You know, Manchester City, they weren't really on the radar in those days, didn't have the money. Um, and he said, it's West Ham United. Because their youth team are not only beating people 3-0 or 2-0 or 2-1, they're beating them 7-0, 9-0, 8-0. Because they had great players, right? And what happened was, in typical West Ham fashion, we're thinking like Joe Cole, Frank Lampard. I'm old enough to know the original one, but this is the second one. Frank Lampard, Joe Cole, um, uh, all the other, you know, Rio Ferdinand, Anton Ferdinand. Do you know, they all became England players. Do you know what? When they became England players, they didn't play for West Ham. We sold them all. And can you imagine the manager at the time, which I think was Redknapp, Harry Redknapp, not Jamie, because I'm that old, <laughs> Harry. And imagine if they said to Joe Cole, uh, Joe Cole, you're playing for Chelsea. You need to come to Upton Park, because we're still there then. Have a double pint mash, because that's what we did before a game. Not the players, just the supporters. And, and have a double, <laughs> you should play for West Ham. He said, but I don't belong to West Ham anymore. I played for Chelsea with John Terry. Right? What right would I have got to say, but you should be playing for West Ham? And the devil has no right for you to, to say, what are you doing? You've committed your life to Christ. And you say, well, I, don't, I don't play for the devil anymore. I'm not listening to you. you don't, I don't belong to you. The old has gone and the new has come. I belong to Christ. Isn't that amazing? And there's part of me wanted them to come back to West Ham, but I don't want you to go back to the devil. You've come out of the kingdom of darkness and you're in the kingdom of light. It's amazing. You're living for him now. You're becoming like him and dying. As you go under the water, you die to yourself and you come up with a new life. It, re- it kind of reflects uh, the resurrection. You're resurrected to a new life. You don't play for West Ham anymore. You're not in the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> You have been raised to new life. You are for the kingdom of God. And Harry Redknapp, who's not the devil, cannot ring you up and say, but you play for me. You say, no, I don't. I have transferred. I've come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I have the power, you devil, of the risen life. Amazing. So discipleship, he wants us to make disciples, verse 20. We're journeying together. 
with love and respect, with Jesus as our brother and our friend and our king, God as our father, the Holy Spirit living within us. We, we share with each other because we're church. We're growing. We grow because we hear his word preached on a Sunday or in home groups. It could be there's a time to lead for you too. Who knows? He says, go and make disciples. That's an act of leadership. You know, you're followers, but you're, you're going to be leaders now. And we need you. We need your generation coming up. You know, I go to schools, so I haven't done it for a while. Once my kids left school, I don't get invited so much. It's either that or the talks were bad. I don't really know what they were. But, but I remember saying to some, uh, some of these uh, schools, and one was a private school, and the parents are paying money uh, to go to school. I remember when I went to school, I used to want to pay money not to go, but was, they wouldn't allow that. Um, but they went, and I said, don't be ashamed of your privilege. Uh, don't be ashamed of your privilege because um, it, it's, we need people like you. Don't be ashamed of this privilege. I used to say to them, the worst thing you can do now is not take advantage of your privilege. You're in a country, in an environment where you can come and get baptised in freedom. Don't take advantage of them. And I used to say that to those kids. Um, don't apologise for it. But go and make a difference because we need you. And the older generation, I'm not sure the teachers liked it so much, but we've got teachers in our congregation. God bless them. They've got a difficult job. But they have enormous privilege. And I used to say to the teachers, I can remember, I'm 50 now, okay, I can remember the words that my teachers spoke to me, good and bad. And I used to say to the teachers, you, you can speak words of life into these kids or, or words that never amount to anything and, you know, uh, uh, and everything else. Jesus believes in you. He believes in you. Today is plan A. When you get up in the morning, it's plan A. And that's the same for the rest of us. Because we mess up, don't we? I mess up, you mess up. But tomorrow is plan A. And the next day is plan A. It's like he's got his blackboard and he wipes out. He said, I had plan A, but you did a few things wrong. He wipes it all out and said, okay, we've got plan A today. Never be discouraged. Go and make a difference. And I'd like I say to those kids in the school, I want you to make a difference because we need you. I'm getting older now. I need you too. And I need the, the young church, as much as the old church, to rise up and make a difference. I need you to influence everything. And you can do it because Jesus is Lord. He is the name above all names and you are his disciples. You're not converts, you're his disciples. You're going to follow him. And this passage that we've said, uh, uh, read tonight, all it represents Christ standing on us for his church. Too many churches in my travels... As I go around, I don't travel much. I like preaching here. I don't like being away, actually. I get a bit nervous. But uh, I go away at a conference tomorrow. Woo! And that'd be lovely. And I'll hear about other churches. But I don't like being away from here. I don't like being away from here. But too many churches, when I go on these conferences and I speak to other ministers, there's loads of good stuff happening. But sometimes they're neglecting this great call of Christ, this great commission. It's called Great for a Reason. It is the mission statement for the church. I can rewrite it any way you want, but that is it. And we don't want churches full of people that are happy to be converted but don't want to grow, that stay in their same old attitudes and their same old ways of doing things and saying, I can't change. That's blasphemy because then you're saying that God can't change you. And as soon as you say that God can't, you're wrong. God can do, uh, can do incredible things and he will do incredible things with you. I'm not happy just to be converted. I want to grow. He says, go and make disciples and you will. Go and witness to other people. You're witnessing tonight, which is amazing. You know, Jesus said, when he asked Peter, you know, who who do you think I am? He said, you are the Christ. He, He finally got it. 
And Peter was a bit of a flawed character, but he finally got it. He said, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, like, yeah, you're right. And on that confession of faith, he said, on that rock, Cephas was another name for Peter, on that rock, on that confession, I will build my church. Some people take or leave church. They say, well, I can't be bothered today, or I don't think I need the church. I'm a convert. I will ignore the red letters that when Jesus said, Jesus says, you know, I will build my church. If he's building his church, you're part of it. Right now, you're part of it. And church is important. Church is important. Acts 2.42, my favourite passages. Now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And you know when they devoted themselves, you know what it says after that? And the Lord added to their number daily. They were devoted, their lives bore out witness. Don't ignore the church. Don't be an individual Christian. It's really difficult. And it's not a disciple. It's a convert. A convert says, I want all the benefits, but I'm not going to be a disciple. That's a convert. Okay, you will be saved, because the Bible says you will. But he says, go and make disciples. So invest in his church, even when it gets it wrong. Ministers get it wrong. Congregations get it wrong. But we are a family, and we don't, we don't just say, like I wouldn't at a Sunday dinner with my own mum and dad, Oh, you know, they voted Brexit. I'm, I like Frexit, no fruit, but that wasn't a vote. Um, or I voted Remain, whatever it is. I don't start, stop meeting around the dinner table just because we disagree. I believe in the family, and I believe in this family. I believe in it here at Billericay. I believe in it worldwide. A third of the world, as I said at the beginning, are Christians because they believe in the family. On this rock, I will build my church. And if you're a disciple, you will build it too. You'll go to your churches. I know where you are. Lovely having you here. It's lovely having you here, but I know you don't live here. Get invested in your local church. Go and make disciples. Go and ask the pastor. You won't believe what a blessing you'll be when you go to your pastor and say, how can I help you make disciples? I'm not going to be a consumer. I'm going to be a contributor as well. That's a disciple. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And finally, the promise in verse 20. The gospel begins in Matthew 1.23. Emmanuel, which we'll be reading in a few weeks' time. God with us. He's with you, okay? That's how the gospel, Matthew's gospel, begins. But he closes that gospel saying, he is with them still. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He begins the gospel with Emmanuel, God with us, and he ends it and says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. God is with us as we go about sharing the good news of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to you. You're not on your own. And that's the challenge this evening. It's a challenge for now. Who Are you going to be a convert or are you going to be a disciple? Who has the authority in your life? Will you take your mission seriously? Will you invite people to church? Will you invest in the church? Will you invest in Alpha or whatever it is your church does or events? Is there for the rest of us the question of baptism? Have you repented? Have you believed? Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to take all the benefits, but I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to get baptised because I don't feel I'm ready. You're never going to be ready. If you've repented and you believe, get baptised and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a great promise for you this evening because you're choosing to be disciples, not converts. Jesus has the authority. Will we as a church make disciples? Will we be discipled? Will we look at the word of God and take it seriously? Or will we look at what the world says and say, well, it's all about you. 
It's all about your feelings. It's all about what you think. And you can take or leave bits. You can take all the nice promises and you can leave all the sometimes harsh words, warnings. You know, we drive along the road, there are warning signs and we can either choose to ignore them, but they're there for our benefit. When it says slow down, there's a bend in the road. I'm a mo- I love motorbikes. I better slow down because in a car you can kind of, you know, Gary drove quite fast, Jesse, from, from the uh, elders. Uh, he didn't break a speed limit, of course, because he's a disciple, you see, and not a convert. Uh, but I was, Tom and I were nervous in the back. It was raining as we went down the lanes. We said the 414 and the A12. They ignored us. They knew better. Uh, and actually, they did get us home uh, a lot easier. But he read the signs. When there was a sharp bend, he slowed down. When there was a speed limit, he, he adhered to it, sort of. And... When I'm in life, I can look at the Bible, I can look at the warnings and ignore them. Don't ignore the words of the Bible. Don't think you're a good person and you'll be okay and God will be lucky to have you. The Bible says, unless you call on the name of Jesus, he is the only name that that you can be saved by. He's the only one. It's not good enough to be good because you don't measure up. It's not to be condemned, because Jesus said, I don't come to condemn the world, I come to save it. And he offers that to all of us. The question is, are we going to respond to him? We serve an authentic God. We, we want authentic worship. We want authentic preaching of the word. We want authentic disciples. We want authentic followers. And we'll be authentic in our mission. And then, from 12 people, to a third of the world, will change the world. It will never be perfect until the end times. Jesus is coming. I don't know when. Preachers have been saying it for 2,000 years. But he is coming. And will we be ready? And as you get into this pool and get baptised, I thank God for both of you. I thank God for anyone who's questioned it tonight. There's an opportunity. If you want to get baptised tonight, you can. I think we've got extra towels, by the looks of it. Um, you might go home as if you're looking like you're in a toga party. But, but you, so what? So what? In Acts 8, when Philip came across the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's, he's reading Isaiah, and he didn't have anyone to explain it to him, Philip explains it to him. And he says, here's some water, why shouldn't I be baptised? He didn't say, come on the baptismal course. He didn't say, well, I'm not thinking you're ready yet. How's your tithing going? Or how are you singing? Do you know all the words to the songs? What about quoting the Bible? The Ethiopian eunuch said, well, here's some water. Why shouldn't I get baptised? And we've got a young girl tonight, particularly, I'm talking about both of you, but a young girl tonight, to be fair, Gary spoke to me about last year, and I said, a little bit young. Um, Can we, I mean, honestly, I hate saying this, can we put her off for another year? How wrong was I? Because theologically, I have no reason to not let you be baptised. In fact, I think God would judge me if I didn't because I've got somebody that says, repented, I believe. That's it. There is no age limit for baptism in the New Testament. There's only one requirement. Repent and believe. The bloke baptised you got baptised at the age of eight. I think your mum got baptised early, didn't you? If you've repented tonight and you believe and want to follow Christ, you come up and get baptised tonight. Don't leave it. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. You need to be ready. And it's an amazing privilege. I'm not in the water tonight, but it's an amazing privilege to baptise people. And we want to say to you too as a church, the whole church, you know, the church universal, 
the Apostles' Creed call it the Holy Catholic Church. What it means by that is not a denomination. It means a church universal that we love you, we believe in you, and God needs you, and we need you. So you go and make a difference in your churches. Okay? Right. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to, uh, I think, go to the baptisms. Oh, Helen's going to sing. Lovely. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you leave us with standing orders, your great commission. And forgive us when we've ignored that. Forgive us when we've made converts and not disciples. I pray for these two getting baptised tonight. This is such a new start for them. And I pray you'll fill them with your Holy Spirit. I know you will because your word says you will. Repent, believe, be baptised and I will fill you with my spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you said you won't leave us as orphans that you'll send another one like you to be with us, the paraclete, the counsellor, the one who comes alongside. We thank you, Lord, that we've got two people and maybe more that are willing tonight and us as a church to say, you are Lord. And with all the conflicting messages of the world that come at us, all the selfishness that's in us and which the world seems to encourage, we've got people to say, no, I live for you. So please, Lord, fill them with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit and help us to be disciples. We thank you, Lord, your presence is with us. And we thank you that your word promises it would not return to you empty. I thank you, Lord, that it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And I pray that it would penetrate me and the people here into our inner being. Challenge us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know who I am, I'm Gary the one that's going to punch in and drive fast around Essex. Um, but I'm one of the ministers here, and it's a, a real privilege and an honour uh, to be able to baptise uh, these two this evening. So we're going to crack straight on with it this evening. Naomi, you are first. So Charlotte, you can come up and share your testimony with us of how God has moved in your life. Hi, I'm Naomi and I'm going to be explaining to you why I want to get baptised. From a young age, I have always gone to church and felt like I've been reviewing the same things over and over again. I never really took into consideration the true meaning of God and Jesus, but now I really understand how Jesus gave it all up for me and how he loves me too. When I have taken exams, tests and other things similar to that, I've always prayed first. When I pray, it just reminds me that God never leaves me and he's always by my side. He always, this also reminds me of a dream that somebody once had. He was walking by the sea with God in the sand and he could see two sets of footprints, his and the Lord's. He could see all his memories, the good and bad, when he noticed something strange when he noticed something strange. As he was looking at his happiest and most enjoyable memories, he could still see the two sets of footprints in the sand. However, when he was going through his struggles and the tough times in his life, one set of footprints disappeared and only a single set of footprints were left. The man was confused, so he questioned the Lord. God, in the hardest and worst moments of my life, why did you leave me? he asked. But the Lord replied, You know truly that I will never leave you, especially in your greatest needs for me. I say, in your toughest times, I did not forsake you. Instead, I picked you up and carried you through all your struggles. This brings my mind back to a 
Bible verse in Joshua 1 verse 9, which states, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This just says directly from God that he will be with us always. Because even though we have sinned, Jesus has forgiven us, which just shows how much he loves us. And that is why I want to get baptised. Louis, <laughs> come on in. As you're coming in, uh, actually, no, go and do your testimony, don't you, first, don't you? Josh, do you want to you do the lectern? You're right there. I'm all right. You're all right. Jolly good. Go on. You say who you are. Hang about. Um, my name's Louis. Um, I'm here today um, to get baptised and give my life to God. Um, I must say a few words about how I found myself here and uh, my sort of journey. Um, so um, <laughs> I've got some things written down, but as you might tell, I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous. So uh, you might have to bear with me whilst I do this, but we'll give it our best shot here. So um, firstly, that was amazing, and it's the first baptism I've seen. That was great. Um, so today marks saying goodbye to a previous life and brings in a welcome beginning of a journey with God. I was first brought to God for an elderly lady called Margaret. Margaret would come down to the beach where I worked. I worked in a small little cafe and she'd come down and get ginger tea. The thing about my cafe was it was quite expensive. So Margaret thought it'd be a better idea to bring her own tea. <laughs> Fair enough, I'll back that. So <laughs> me and Margaret used to get quite chatty and uh, she'd end up coming near to close and I'd close up and we'd sit and have a cup of ginger tea outside the calf. Now we started getting talking and a few of the conversations led to God. She said to me that in her 20s she gave her life to God and she had a much, she felt the reward and the benefit of that. I didn't dismiss this, but I didn't fully gel with it. Um, this was in Eastbourne, where I grew up, and I've been for 22 years. Um, firstly, thanks to all my friends that have come from far and wide, Eastbourne, Milton Keynes, everywhere, to be here tonight. It means a lot. And um, when I departed Eastbourne to come to Milton Keynes, um, I brought with me a Bible that Margaret gave me. It was one of those things where you're packing your things and you think, what do I take? What will I need? And it was just kind of a spur of moment thing, like, oh, I'll take that with me. You never know. Um, and the job as well, we say God pursues you. I do feel like it was a minute chance that I ended up here, really. Um, I had to pass a lot of mass tests and things. I found the, the, the deadline for the email. I missed it, found it in my junk. I was inebriated at the time, still passed, don't know how. All that, fantastic. And, uh, and then I, I came to Milton Keynes. And uh, one night I invited Josh around for a curry. And he came around my house. We had a curry. It was cooked by a friend's mum. It was lovely. And uh, he mentioned uh, the Bible that I had on my side. Now, I didn't know God. I didn't know, God. I didn't know Josh uh, believed in God. Um, and I thought he was slightly having a bit of a dig. <laughs> so, so when he commented on it, I thought he was taking the mick. So I didn't really engage in the conversation. Um, but then a few months went on and a bit of time passed. And uh, I found that because I'd left town and I had a lot of 
um, coping mechanisms, and everyone's got problems. And the way I dealt with my problems at home weren't a way that was conducive into living a good life. And I left those behind, and it left a void that I hadn't filled. And it led me to be quite sad, and I was very lonely there. It was a change of place. I had to give up a lot of the things that I lent on. Um, and I was upset. I told a colleague about this, and they told Josh. And Josh, when he was visited with his auntie one day, uh, said, do I want to go to church with him? And in me, I was like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. So it was not a deliberation. I was straight on it. I thought it was fab. And uh, Josh and I, uh, his auntie and his cousin, um, we went to church from Milton Keynes. And it was the first time I'd been to church in a long time. Uh, I used to go out as a child with a friend, but my parents didn't really agree with it, so I'd stopped. Um, I was overwhelmed by the positive attitudes and the mentality of everybody. Everybody wants you to come around the house for tea. And, <laughs> and it was really an environment that I wasn't used to. Um, when we went there, the service really resonated with me, and it felt like it was there for me. Um, even uh, this, the, 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 the sermon was led by uh, a minister of the church that would have been my church in Eastbourne. He was visiting for the day. Um, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in King's Church in Eastbourne. The guy that runs King's Church was there. And, um, and, uh, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. And I started going to church with Josh. Uh, recently, I haven't been as much. And I think that's something that's going to change from this point as well. But we started going to church, and each, you saw me each week. I just thought it was great. And, uh, and then uh, we went to the Gathering Festival, where I know a few of the men here from. That's why I'm here today. We've got support from the back. And, um, <laughs> and we had a great time as well. And I gave my life to God there in front of uh, some of the men here and many others. Um, and afterwards, we left the tent. I don't know if you remember that really lovely red sky, better than anything I've ever seen in my life. And it was just a great day. So since I've attended church, like I said, just sporadically, and I want to make a more organized, formal commitment to God. Um, so that's why I'm here today, to reaffirm that and give uh, my life to him and that pledge today. So thank you for listening to me. <laughs>